First thing I want to do is tell you a story this morning, a true story, a true story. I'm thinking, you know, we, we refer to as the church as our church family, right? You're feeling like part of the family by now, aren't you? Yes, the family of God, church family. Well, welcome family. We're going to talk a little, a little family stuff this morning. Are you ready? Yeah, okay. Um, it's really cool to end up having somebody come that's like a new set of eyes in the church, you know, like a secret shopper in the church, or uh, um, and to to get to to get to know these people that are that, that have come that are that are new people and, and get on a on a relationship basis. I was talking last no, that was Wednesday night really about developing friendships and what it means to create relationship and develop friendships where we begin to trust each other and, and love each other and believe each other and and uh, well there's some people that have been coming to the to the church for a while that are but that are new so I think of as like fresh set of eyes and, and I went to lunch with one of these people just uh, just very recently and as we were having you know some wonderful conversation and and and, and talking he just started to share with me a little bit after I asked. But so tell me your perspective of Valley Church. Uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, any, anything that you see. And like any really good leader does, you just hear all of the good stuff first. You know what I'm talking about? And then always sandwiched in the middle is anything that might need to be dealt with. And then good stuff again on the backside. Isn't that the way we do it? Yeah, so I started out and I heard lots of good stuff. It's like, yeah, 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 this is awesome, this is really good, great. Some of the most important things, and I'll go over this just a little bit because I thought it was, I thought it was really key. You know, sometimes we just need to hear from a perspective. We get used to, uh, very much used to when, we, when it's the same thing and, and a lot of times the same people, we just become accustomed to. Like when you walk in your house, if there's a scratch on the door by the entry and that has happened and you've walked by it about ten times, you don't even notice that anymore. You know what I mean? Until yeah. somebody shows up at your house and goes, wow, what happened there? It's like, oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah that. Well, when are you going to fix it? Uh, oh, uh, you know, I had kind of forgotten about that. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. yeah. sometimes we can get that same way in church. It's like even, even develop a... I was talking with, with Pastor Tim this morning, and don't, don't, I won't get too sidetracked. I will go back to where I was at. I was talking with Pastor Tim this morning about a, a, a reverence and a, a familiarity. One of the things that, that this, this, this person that I, that I had lunch with here just recently shared with me, he says, oh man, the thing that I so appreciate at Valley Church is how the presence of God is there in such a, a big and, and a powerful way. And, and you, you come in and you experience it and you get to feel it and see it. And, and the worship, oh, pastor, the worship is just, it is great. We're led into the presence and it's, it's amazing. It, it's great. And I go, yes, 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 I agree, I agree. I says, uh, yeah, well, keep going. I want, I want to hear more good stuff here. Tell, tell me, <laughs> yeah. And the people are so loving. It's a loving people. You can, you can feel and you can experience the love and the worship and, and the presence. 
He says, okay, all right. And then he hesitated. He says, well, I don't want to overstep my boundaries. It's like, uh-oh, here we go. But, it's like, uh-oh, here's the but. The big but. So oftentimes that but erases everything else. You know, you, you can't even hear or remember what the rest of it was after you get the but. But, it's like, okay, I'm listening now. It says, uh, it seems to me that there is a lot of distraction. It's like, distraction, distraction. It's like, oh, this is something that I guess we've just kind of mostly gotten used to. It's like the scratch on the wall or, or, or whatever. It's like, distraction, can you tell me a little more, elaborate a little more? It says, well, I don't want to overstep my bounds. I, you already stepped out of bounds, so go ahead, go ahead. You know? <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I did not say that. Don't know him that well yet. Say, <laughs> like, no, you know, no, keep going, keep going. I, 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 I hear what you're saying. He says, and you have heard me say from this pulpit, and the staff has heard me say many, many times, it's our job to create and maintain an atmosphere in which you have opportunity to have your personal encounter with God. Right? You've heard that plenty of times here. Yes, that there is an atmosphere established, created, and maintained here that allows you to have your personal encounter time with God. And worship is a big, big part of that. And I said, well, explain a little bit what you're talking about. And he said, well, what I see in here, and I've moved around the church, sat in different places, you know, quite a bit, just, just watching, just absorbing and observing he said I see a lot of a lot of noise and a lot of movement and activity around the front that isn't necessarily worship I was like oh he says and that can be really distracting especially if you're a first-time visitor it's like it's like what 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 is what, what is happening there and he says and it can be noisy around around there you know if people that are greeting each other and, and you know, and, and, and hugging and laughing. And he says, just to me, he said, from my perspective, it's a lack of reverence in the house. It's just, oh, never do we want to end up thinking or making it commonplace where we need to be showing reverence in the house. It's like, oh, says, and if I move around and I sit somewhere around the back, he says, there will be talking around the back of the church. People back there just talking. They're glad to see each other and stuff. And he said, so they'll just be, just be talking. And he said, man, when I was, was first coming, I thought, wow, is that okay here? It's like, you know, it's something that, we, that we've gotten so accustomed to, so used to that we don't think about it, that we don't see it that we don't notice it but new people that come in definitely do it's like man, never ever ever do i want it to feel like we take for granted anything that god's doing in our midst that we make commonplace coming into the house of god into into to to to, to worship him it's like Wow, I, I've been told, I'm not even sure how many times, but several times like pastors have come and have visited here and said, you know, man, Lynn, 
you don't even understand that you have something really special here. It's like, yes. We don't want to take that for granted. We do have something really special here. The presence of God comes in here. We get to experience the presence of God in powerful ways. We get to see the manifestations. We get to see healings. We get to see deliverances. It's like, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Do I want to make that commonplace? No, Lord. Do I want to take that for granted? No. Do you hear me? It's like reverence, reverence for what he's doing, reverence when we step through those doors to start worshiping. It's like the presence of God is here. It's shining on some of the faces of the people that are up here worshiping. And we can step in and just start to visit. And say, oh, man, I'm so glad to see you. How was your week? You just, it's great that we love on one another. But we need to be careful. We need to host his presence. We don't want to take for granted what we have here, what we experience here. Thank God it's every Sunday. And it's growing. It's, it's growing. We're experiencing more and more of it. It's like, yes, Lord, that's what we want. More of you. More of your presence. It's like, let's step into this place with reverence. Let's be aware that we are stepping into the presence of God. Are you following me? Have I offended anybody yet? Oh, well, I'm going to try again then. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> now, we're mature believers. We are a family of mature believers here. And this is, that was the really interesting thing as he was talking to me. And he says, and I'm not talking about the beginners or the new believers in your church. I'm talking about people that I've seen that have been here, that are here every Sunday, are the ones that end up doing the, creating the most distractions. like... Oh, anybody uh, relate to what I'm talking about? <laughs> you didn't have to raise your hand, but, <laughs> but thank you. Thank you for who you are. <laughs> we want to host his presence well. We want to host his presence well. We don't want to take... I, I was even sharing with Tim, Pastor Tim, a little bit earlier in, in my office. I said, you know, I have, I have just had to ask the Lord, forgive me, Lord, forgive me, Lord, forgive me, Lord, because sometimes there are things that we get to enjoy in his presence, and some of those things that I, I, we just get used to. We just get used to, and it becomes almost commonplace to us and it's like yeah yeah that one that was funny that was funny to see that that was kind of funny and start to think of it absolutely the wrong way when the power of god hits somebody their knees crumble and they fall under a chair it's like well that was that was odd that was it's like i just got so corrected this morning when I was praying about this it's like there is nothing commonplace about my power and how it settles and who it touches and it's just like Amen. I'm sorry forgive me Lord forgive me forgive me forgive me never do I want to make commonplace or take for granted 
Your power, your authority, and your move. Your presence, Lord. Everybody got that? So now in a family, in a family, if somebody starts... uh, I'm going to just back up a little bit. You know, so many times, so many times, a handful of times, I've heard somebody say, well, I only do what the Holy Spirit shows me to do. And I was like, and if you're not going to allow me to do that, or if you're going to tell me that I'm a distraction or a disturbance, then you're trying to quench the Holy Spirit. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not the case at all. I just don't want you or I don't want me to be a stumbling block for somebody else that causes them a distraction enough that they miss out on their encounter. Hmm. Okay. (laughs) All right. Maybe it's time to... uh, Now that we've had the family meeting, are you ready for a little bit more of the Word? All right. Here we go. We will go to Exodus 33. I I think this somewhat, it it addresses even some of what I was just talking about right here. Um, Exodus 33, we'll start with verse 8. Touched on this on Wednesday. I don't think I did last Sunday. I know I was talking about worship last Sunday, but... Beginning with verse 8, So it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle, which was the tent set up outside the camp. And I think it's really interesting that that he set the, the tent up where he would go to worship, to meet with God outside the camp, away from all of the distraction Outside the camp, the tent was set up, the tent, the tabernacle. And this was the temporary, because he had not yet, you know, set up the big, big tabernacle that they were moving, you know, with all of the the intricate stuff that that, that God gave him a plan for. And it came to pass, when Moses entered the tabernacle, that the pillar of cloud, and that pillar of cloud was the presence of God, the presence, the presence of God, which was leading the people through the wilderness. So that, that, that presence of God. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud, not fire but cloud, descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. Now wouldn't that have been something to witness? Watch Moses walk into the tabernacle and then the presence of God standing right at the door to meet him, to greet him, and to speak to him directly like a friend speaks to another friend. Are you with me? Moses walked in, then the presence of God showed up. And all of the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose and worshipped, each man in his own tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from that tabernacle. It's like I, I can just see him 
staying back, hanging back. You know, Moses was in here visiting with God. There still has to be some residue of that presence right here. And I don't want to get out of that presence yet. I want to just linger and remain in that presence. Isn't that how it feels sometimes here on a, on a Sunday and you just don't want to leave yet? I, let, let's just sit around for a while and just, or let's just worship a little longer. Let's just linger in that presence. That's a great sign when you look out and, you know, 25% or half of the people are still just hanging around because the presence of God is still in this place. Okay, I want to back up a little bit now to uh, 32, Exodus 32, 26 through 29. Now this, Moses had come down from the mountain. He's got, you know, and, and Aaron, they, they'd made that calf, you know, the golden calf. Everybody knows that's, uh, if you don't know that story, you can uh, read 30, 31, 32, 33 in Exodus. Moses stood at the entrance of the camp and he said, this, this is something that just spoke so loud to me when I was studying this. Moses stood at the entrance of the camp and said, now, I mean, undoubtedly God's pretty unhappy because he's come back, that little bit of time he's gone up on the mountain. They have come, they've created a golden calf, they've worshipped that calf, they've danced around the fire, they've celebrated and they've worshipped a God that they had just created when the God that was delivering them from slavery, bringing them into freedom, into their promised land, was right there with Moses, they've created another God of their own. All of the, okay, and then Moses stood at the entrance of the camp and he said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, let him come to me. Whoever is on the Lord's side, let him come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. So they all stepped up. We're on the Lord's side. So they rushed up there, gathered around Moses, and here's what he spoke to them. He said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side, go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout this camp, let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. It's like, what? Everyone that didn't step forward say, I'm on the Lord's side, has got to go. Like, what? So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people, of the children of Israel, fell that day to the sword. Then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, that he may bestow on you a blessing this day, for every man has opposed his son and his brother. So you have been obedient, you've been faithful, you've done what you were instructed to do, separating themselves, consecrating themselves, by going around with the sword and killing all of the people that didn't say, I'm on the Lord's side. Are you following me? Those that didn't step up and say, I'm on the Lord's side, were killed by the sword, by the people who stepped across the line saying, yes, yes, sons of Levi that said, I'm on the Lord's side. When we think of things and stories from the Old Testament, how they're then reflected in the New Testament, I think that this is an incredible 
an incredible and a scary but an absolute real example in the Old Testament, the only way, the, the, the result of sin was death. The result of sin is death. Something had to die. Even, even when they were making sacrifices, something had to die, which became a blood sacrifice. Okay, in, in the New Testament, Jesus is that sacrifice, as Tim was talking about. He is that sacrifice that shed his blood, so nothing else has to die physically that ends up shedding blood. Okay, you're all with me. But, but, there are many things that we have to take the sword and many things that we have to cut out, cut away from our lives. It's a new day, you're a new creation, and there are some things that are going to have to cut out of your life. There are going to be some relationships that are going to have to cut off from your life. If you're going to change, if you're going to live it out, if you're going to walk it out, if you're going to be that new creation, there are some relationships, some things that are going to have to cut out of your life. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 15.33, bad company corrupts good character. So there are some relationships, again, that are going to have to be changed, that are going to have to be cut out of your life. You cannot hang around. You think, oh, but I'm going to be a great influence on them. I'm going to change them. I'm going to change their lives. I'm going to win them over to the Lord. It's like, great, but bad company corrupts good character. You hang out with the people in the church. You hang out with the people that are of the household of God. Those are the ones that are of the same mind, of the same faith, of the same heart. Those are the ones that you communicate with, that you hang out with the most in order to be able to influence that bad company. See, it's the Holy Spirit that draws, that begins the work on someone's heart. We cannot, I said this last week, you cannot win somebody over to the Lord because you have decided, I'm going to win her over to the Lord. I'm going to win him over to the Lord. This is my new mission. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see Candace changed. I'm going to win that girl over to the Lord. There, that's my new mission here. It's like, no, no. No, you will be led by the Spirit because He's the one that will draw Candace in. I mean, a long time ago, He drew Candace in. He's done an amazing work in her life, a powerful, powerful woman of God right there that He's using in, in mighty and powerful ways. But just using her as an example because I knew she wouldn't throw anything or get mad or anything. Just like. The Holy Spirit woos and draws, we plant the seeds, somebody else waters, somebody else harvests. We don't say, I remember a friend of mine started not coming on Wednesday night because he had someone that he was meeting with. Well, I can't come on Sunday morning because Wednesdays and Sundays was the opportunity to meet with this influential man in the city of Caldwell. And he says, I'm going to win him over to the Lord. It's like, oh dear, oh boy. And that didn't happen. He just ended up not coming to church anymore. He was distracted because of, he was drawn away because of a good desire in his heart. He wanted to see this man won over to the Lord, 
But he spent all his time focusing on that guy, him trying to use his strength, his knowledge, his will, his good words to win somebody to the Lord. And it was not the time, it was not the place, nor was it his job. Are you with me? It's like, (laughs) don't pick a target and say, I'm going to win him to the Lord, I'm going to win her to the Lord. It's like, that's God's timing, it's God's job. We are his example, we are his hands and feet, but unless we're led by the Holy Spirit and that we're partnering with the Holy Spirit and he's doing his job, we're wasting our time trying to just do it on our own strength. With me. Another scripture, bad company corrupts good character. In in Romans 12, 2, we know that we are a new creation. We know that we're created for good works. We know that God's doing a work in our life. But he's saying and speaking through Paul very clearly, it says, do not be conformed to the standards of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12, 2. By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Again, we have to be really, you know, be attentive, be aware of who we're hanging out with. Or we will find ourselves, just like bad company corrupting good character, that we're conforming to the standards of the world. We are a peculiar people, set apart, called apart. Are you with me? Yes. All right. Like to, uh, yeah, in fact, we're going to go to Matthew 10:34. Matthew 10:34, Linda. I'm going to get it in my Bible. Matthew 10, 34. And then I'm going to back up to... I'm going to back up to 30. The very starting with verse 30. Chapter 10, beginning with verse 30. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows... Jesus speaking, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, him I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes will be those of his own household. Isn't it amazing when when you answer the call on your life, when you respond to, to God's call and you give your heart to the Lord and you're so excited about that and that you try to go to your family and share with your family and they absolutely reject it and reject you. It's like, what in the world? I thought you would be so excited for me. Where you find out that your own household, the people that live in your household, the people that are part of your family, your brother, your sister, your mother in law, 
Uh, thank God my mother-in-law and, and my mother are, are believers. I got my mother-in-law, I got my mother saved and my mother-in-law straightened me out. <laughs> Sometimes that is, that is such a struggle when it's people in your own household, when it's your siblings, your brothers, your sisters, but I think I'm going to take a slight diversion right here. Renee and I were, were, were sharing, we're just talking. She started asking me some questions last week. And why the hardened heart? Why did, you know, why did God harden the hearts of some people? And why did, and it's like, while I was trying to answer her question and thinking about it, God showed me a little kind of a vision. And this is a, a little bit rough here, but he showed me kind of a, a vision where I was seeing that three groups, there were three groups. There's a small group, and I was thinking of like the children of Israel and this small group of people that absolutely pursued them, hated them when they were beginning, when they were starting to leave, you know, when they were making the exit out of, out of Egypt. There's a small group that was so hardened against them that all they wanted to do was catch them and kill them. They didn't, they didn't want them to end up having freedom. They didn't want them to be released. They wanted to catch them and kill them. And I think that like, like this, that, that God hardened the hearts of Pharaoh and his army so that the children of Israel would have no option. They couldn't make compromise back with Egypt. So that they couldn't compromise in their hearts, so they couldn't create or generate some kind of a compromise, but they would be forced out because now they were angrily pursued. Are you following me? And I believe that there's this, this middle section of people that were like the children of Israel as they were going into the desert and that we're thinking of, of Egypt pursuing, Egypt Pharaoh pursuing, pursuing, uh, that, that just wanted to kill them, that just wanted to destroy them. And Christians are persecuted today by a small group of pursuers and persecutors. Right? It's making sense. There's a big group of people in that middle, though. And there's a small group of people. That, uh, I'm going to go there here just in a few minutes. I feel like this is where this is the, a little shift that's taking place. So, Linda, you probably won't have exactly the scriptures to follow me now. But of these three groups, if like if you're creating a pie chart or, or a graph... It's those that are so opposed, so opposed to God and to Christians, and those that are so led by the Spirit of God that that's all they want, is just more of God. I'm fully committed to God. And there's a big, big bunch in the middle that say, I believe in God. I absolutely believe in God. I've seen things. I know things. I've experienced a little bit of things. And I want some of it but I'm not ready to take that stand, big bunch, smaller bunch, smaller bunch, persecutors, but I'm not really to step, ready to step over and say, yes, Jesus, I'm on your side. Big group in the middle. And we're, I'm going to turn really quickly now. 
kind of do. I think I have this on there, Linda. Uh, I know it will be Revelation 3, Revelation 3.16. And I'm going to need to, okay, here we go, read more than just that verse. This is red letter. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus speaking. Okay. I'll I'll just read. I'm going to start with verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things, says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that you're ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you've received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. You will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out this name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. These things, says he who is holy, he who is true. He who has the key of David, he who opens and, opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, you've kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I've loved you. Because you've kept my commands to preserve, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on earth. Behold, I come quickly, hold fast to what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now 14, into the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Yeah, I can hear that many times and still have a Laodiceans, Laodiceans, right. These things, says the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of creation of God. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich, I've become wealthy, I have need of nothing, and I do not know... Do you not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? I don't even think I need to read the rest of that. I, just, I think there's a, there's a great place to stop. When I think of the, of the middle, it seems like Jesus is saying, Okay, I wish you were hot 
or cold. You're stuck right here in the middle. You've not committed either way. You've not stepped over in to say, yes, I'm on the Lord's side, or it's like, nope, I'm going to be a persecutor of them. It's like there's a, a big, big, wide, wide group of people that know about Jesus, that know, know a little about him. I remember listening to a, a pastor named Sean Smith saying, yeah, they have been inoculated. They've been vaccinated. They got just enough of Jesus and religion that they don't catch it. They don't get the real thing. It's like, oh, oh, oh. Got the inoculation, got just enough. It's like so many people, so many of us, I spent so many years in this place thinking I've got Jesus over here in a box so when I need him, I can call on him. It's like, Jesus, stand close. Jesus, I know that you're the, you're the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Stick close. And he's saying, no, no. Joshua says, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. We're going to step across the line when he says, who is on the Lord's side? I'm on the Lord's side. That's what I want. It's like, do we want more of Jesus? We have to commit all of ourselves to him. It's like the recruiter stands out. When I, I, I was thinking then, I, I was remembering the story of, of Joshua when he was just about to get ready to go over and fight the first battle. They've crossed over the Jordan River. They're camped out there and they're ready to go fight the first battle. And, and he sees a man a good-sized man standing with a sword on his side of the, of the river between him and Jericho. And he's like, oh, great. So he approaches the man and he said, whose side are you on? Are you on our side or are you on the side of our adversaries? And he says, neither. Well, that's not what he said. He just said, no. Which side are you on? No. Are you on our side or the other? No. Basically, I'm not on either side. I am the commander of the Lord's army. I'm on the Lord's side. Joshua, whose side are you on? It's like, well, I'm on the Lord's side. So we're co-laboring. Joshua's co-laboring with the angels, with the army of the Lord. And so the battle's an easy one. The battle of Jericho was a piece of cake. It, it, it was an easy one because Joshua was very quick to say, I'm on the Lord's side. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. No question about it. I'm all in. Are you following me this morning? We're, we are coming to a time that's the greatest time in history. I believe the greatest time for the church but there's this big, big, wide group of people that I feel like this is what I saw in, in that vision that are, that are neither hot nor cold. They're, yeah, I want to come to church. I'm going to come to church and get a little Jesus fix because I do believe in it, but I'm not ready to commit myself. And I believe that we are coming to a time, and this is that time, this is that day where they're asking where we are being asked. Whoever's on the Lord's side, step up here. <laughs> like, oh, oh. You see, I have the promise that I have been filled and sealed by the Holy Spirit. 
filled and sealed by the Holy Spirit. But there's a scripture in uh, Ephesians 4.30 that, that, I mean, we know that we've been filled. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We're filled with the Holy Ghost once we've asked Jesus. That's promised. Once we've asked Jesus to come into our heart, we've dedicated our hearts and lives to Jesus. We have an infilling of the Holy Ghost. We have an infilling of the Holy Ghost, sealed for redemption, sealed for the end of times, promised, sealed. Okay? Now, when I am living my life led by that Spirit that lives in me, I want to be really careful not to grieve that Holy Spirit, that all that I do, all that I think, how I respond to people, in anything and everything that I do, you know, that presence is living in me, monitoring even what I think. So it's like take captive every thought. Take captive every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's like, yeah. oh, I don't, want to, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. I don't ever want to offend the Holy Spirit, but I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. I want to live my life in such a way that I'm loving on Him, I'm worshiping Him, I'm letting Him know that, and I don't want my actions, my thoughts, my beliefs to grieve the Holy Spirit that's living in me. Jesus, I'm going to read one more scripture and then... uh, Yeah. Let's turn to Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 12. 7, 12 through probably maybe 27. Yeah, start with verse 12. Matthew 7, beginning with verse 12. I think we'll read down through 27. Therefore, everybody say, therefore. Whenever we hear therefore, it means like pay attention. Whatever you want men to do to you, you do also do to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Like, love your neighbor as yourself. Treat people the way you want to be treated. But look, listen to, to 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. But he say destruction. destruction. We're talking about that broad, that broad way, that broad path. Leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. You know what the gate to life is? Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That narrow gate is Jesus. 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 We find Jesus. We found the gate. Jesus says, my friends, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. My friends are the ones who obey my commandments. How do we become friends with Jesus? 
obey his commandments. And the difference between a servant and a friend is because a friend knows what the father's doing, what the father's up to. It's like, if we have a relationship with Jesus, if we're paying attention to that Holy Spirit living in us that leads us, if, we're, if, if our actions and thoughts are such that we are looking not to grieve him, but to love him, really, and to make him proud of us rather than grievous or sorrowful towards us, if that's the way that we are acting and if that's what we're doing, then we are pleasing Jesus. And he's saying, you are now my friends. No longer do I call you servants. You're friends of mine. And you know what's going on because you're led by that spirit that dwells in you. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree can't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the only way. He is the only way. But when we know Jesus, when we have Holy Spirit in us, we know the way. I'd like you to stand with me. I'd like to pray over you and I would like to see us worship again that we come to the front and worship again just like just like last week <laughs> worship praise has become has become a weapon worship and praise has become a weapon there's incredible and amazing breakthrough that comes when we're praising so I want to pray over you and I, I want you just to just to receive, and I want you to open your hearts, open your minds, open your spirit to receive what Holy Spirit has for you. But the question this morning, the question this morning that was just ringing in my ears all morning is, are you on the side of the Lord? Are you on His side this morning? And I just encourage you that if, you want to physically make that statement this morning as we go into worship that you come to the front, that you just worship him and that you tell him, yes, Lord, I'm on your side. Yes, Lord, I'm on your side. 
Father, I thank you. I, I thank you that you're such a good, good God. That your word says that by it, it's your goodness that draws people to repentance, Lord. But there's an awe and a wonder that will never become familiar to me again. I will always have awe and wonder. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord. You are a loving, caring Father who wants all of your children to repent, to be saved, and to be living in eternity with you. But the choice is ours. We understand that the choice is ours. And I just encourage each one of you to make the choice to come and worship him and tell him, I choose you, Jesus. I choose you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would bless each one that's here, that's gathered this morning. And as we leave, you will use us to be shining examples of your goodness, to share your word, to share your good news. Bless us as we go. And as we worship your holy name and gather to continue to worship you, I just pray that your presence will fall that you will speak again to your people, that we will experience your glory, your goodness, and your power, where healing happens, where deliverance happens, where true freedom falls on your people. In Jesus' name, amen.